Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Julie Sheldon, former ballerina who was miraculously healed. Julie Sheldon, welcome to Facing the Canon. Oh, John, it's lovely to be here. I've been so excited to come. Well, delighted to have a friend. We've known each other for several decades. Indeed. And your story, Julie, is told in this book, Dancer of Her Feet. So when did you want to be a dancer? Oh, wow, you're going back a long way now. So um, apparently three, age three, and um, I'd sort of been taken to a ballet class and loved it and always felt, I mean, little girls love dancing, little boys love dancing. But uh, for me, I was three. But you pursued that desire, that ambition, Mm -hmm. and... Yes, ended I did. up going to a ballet school. I did. Yes, I, I was eleven when I went to somewhere called Elmhurst Ballet School, and that's where you, where we had to do schoolwork, which none of us wanted to do in the morning, and then we danced all afternoon. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a stage school as well, so quite a few actresses came out of Elmhurst and ballerinas as well. And then after that, I graduated to the Royal Ballet School. So yeah, it was definitely my my chosen path. And many applied for just a few places. <laughs> oh, well, they did then. I, I, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was thousands and they only took a, a small handful. So, yeah. And then obviously you were initially considered and they even uh, checked your spine. It's a bit yeah. like a footballer, isn't yeah, it? The absolutely. moment they, uh, they choose you, they yeah. then do a medical. Absolutely. Look at your feet and your knees and every joint. You've got to be supple and, and uh, fit for the job. So, yes, you're right. And there was an initial concern, wasn't there, about your spine? Um, Yes. I mean, quite a long time before that, um, I think a a sort of slight curve had been noted. And I'd been told by some um, orthopaedic chap that, uh, you know, if I didn't watch it, I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 30 because of this curvature in the spine. And I remember my mother sort of taking me by the hand and marching me out and saying, oh, we're, we're not having that, you know, sort of thing. And, uh, uh, but, but it was like an almost succumb, a prophecy, you know, of you will be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. Yes. But you obviously um, got to the Royal Ballet again, rigorous, even more, and endeavoured to become what? What was your ambition? To be the best. And to um, perform at Covent Garden, um, which I did, which was lovely. I did actually uh, be on and the same stage as Nureyev, which yes. was a huge experience. And that was um, the time when you performed in front of the, the Queen, Queen Mother. Mother. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, that was really wonderful. And I think, you know, as a dancer, that's sort of the, the, the height of, oh, yeah, I made it. Um, but yes, of course, always to be the best, be the best um, and, and to perform well. But during that kind of desire and ambition, there were lots of setbacks. And, lots of setbacks. And one of those yeah. setbacks was when you were just running to get to a class and you slipped down some stairs. What happened then? Well, that was one, one occasion. But the, the worst occasion was um, when I was actually rehearsing with one of my boy partners. And um, uh, we were training, so the boys weren't super duper strong. And uh, we did in the rehearsal one day have an accident and... Um, my partner's hand slipped from around my waist and I fell to the floor. And, yeah, that was a, a very serious injury, which we didn't realise at the time was, was going to be as bad as it was. No, and, and the medical advice at that time was, oh, it's just a bit of bruising, you're going to get over this. Yeah, but yeah. obviously 
you were in pain. A lot of the time in pain and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I think in the end, um, again, my dear mum, she decided perhaps a private um, x-ray might be good. And I remember going, we went to Harley Street and had a, an x-ray done of, of the spine. And there it was, clear as day, a fracture in, in L5. So I'd been dancing on this fracture for some time wondering why it was hurting so much. I know. Yeah. So you would have thought you would have had an x-ray earlier. Uh, yeah, well, they, they, yeah, you would. You would have thought <laughs> You would that. have thought. No. Yeah. And so that, you then had to wear a cast. I did. And again, you know, it was a long time ago. We're talking, well, a long time ago. And then they would put this huge plaster of Paris around you. Now I think you'd have a, a, a sort of jacket that you could remove with Velcro and things. But then it was a huge, great plaster of Paris that was from the top here right to my hips. Um, really, really heavy. I couldn't wear normal clothes. I had to wear maternity dresses, which was embarrassing. Um, and yeah, I had that on for six months. And when they first put it on, they put it on really, really tightly, this plaster of Paris, and it set hard and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't take a deep breath. And so I spent about three or four months with total claustrophobia trying to get out of this thing. Uh, and when they changed it halfway through the, the time, I just breathed deeply so they wouldn't put it on quite so tightly. But it's always made me sort of breathless in lifts and sort of places like that, because I know it came from being incarcerated. But anyway, it mended. But, but, but six months, that's a long time. It was a long and time. there's a saying, isn't there, Julie, that it, it, one day you don't rehearse, practice, you notice it. Yeah. Two days, your colleagues notice it. And three days, the audience notices it. <laughs> That's brilliant. But you, you spent six months <laughs> yeah. in a cast unable to rehearse and practice. So after six months, how did you recover? Oh, wow. Well, do you know what? I, the Royal Ballet were very, very kind and generous. And they, they said I could stay on. Because some people, when you get very injured, they'll, they'll just say bye, you know. Um, but they were prepared to give me a second chance. And I went back into the studio. I had a lot of coaching, a lot of physio, a lot of help. But, do you know, something, something inside me had died a little bit. That sort of wanting to be the best, wanting to be perfect, wanting to be the prima ballerina. I just knew my body would not do what it did before. And I think any athlete or sportsman or gymnast or anyone would identify with an injury making you not feel quite as good as you ever were. And yeah, that was hard because, because it's like all the dreams from a three-year-old suddenly going out of the window. Someone invited you to go on a Christian camp. That's right, a Christian camp by my sister. And I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Um, actually, hates a bit strong. What, what, was I, there, I, was I, there a kind of a culture conflict? Massive what? heart conflict, mind conflict. These girls were lovely. They were so loving. They were sweet. They were kind. They were welcoming. I come from the world of ballet, which is all show and da da da. And these girls were real. And they, however obnoxious, and I'm sure I was obnoxious, they were loving. And they were, they were kind and they were compassionate and they wanted to hear my story. And I initially, it made me just feel cross because I wasn't like that. I knew I wasn't like that. And I wanted to be like that. There was an attraction to something, which I know now is the Holy Spirit in these gorgeous, sweet girls. But I didn't know him and, you know, I wanted it badly. But I was at that camp and rebelling all the way, <laughs> all the way to the cross. <laughs> and somebody showed us one night that uh, fantastic painting of Holman Hunt. It's so familiar. Many people have have been impacted by that painting and it really got me that night. It was the 
you know, here I stand at the door and knock. Yes. If anyone hears me, I'll open the door and come in. And, and whoever it was speaking preached on it. And something went thump in my heart. And I thought, yes, that's it. That's what I want. I know that's who I want. Um, and later on that evening, I went to my bed. Uh, I was in a dormitory with all these very nice girls. And, um, and I prayed, Lord, can, can this happen for me? Can this be me? Will you come in? So you had this encounter yeah. with Jesus. So instead of knowing about him, you now knew him. I knew him. I knew him for real. And this incredible peace that came into this striving of, of being a dancer, being a performer, of being perfect. You know, this peace came, which was beyond anything you can describe. Now, back to your health. Your health there was a health concern that kind of oh. surfaced. <laughs> when did that happen? Um, oh my. Um, well, after, after the back fracture, and uh, then I, I, I met my husband actually later on. I met Tom at 21 and we married. And um, he was a great skier and a great sportsman. And having been a ballerina, we weren't allowed to do tennis or sport or ski or riding or anything so he he loved skiing and uh, so I agreed to go with him but I damaged my knee because I didn't use the right muscles at all and I came back and I had a knee operation and uh, we call this reciting uh, uh, the, the organ recital I'm sorry to be yes, doing that but you know you've yes. asked me the question so I damaged my knee it was a cartilage tear had an operation to repair that and weirdly it wouldn't get better and shortly after that my my leg where the cartilage had been my foot started turning right in my right foot and then my knee started drawing right up until it, it almost came up across my body I mean it was the muscle spasms were unbelievably painful um, and having been a ballerina in charge of all my muscles you know tell me to do the splits I could do them but you know I was in charge of how my body worked suddenly I was getting something that took all of that away I had no control of my body of my muscles and then my arms started to draw up like this and, and they bent over like this. My hands started going to fists, my wrists bent over. And then my head started pulling over to one side as well. Um, and it was incredibly painful. If you think about when you wake up in the night with cramp in your calf. Yes. Okay, so that's what's happening all over. All over. Unbelievable pain. And we, we saw many doctors. We, you know, my husband took me to, to rheumatologists and all sorts of different people. And eventually we got to uh, a man at the National Hospital in Queen's Square in London, a professor. But, but prior to that though, Julie, many, mm. many of the doctors and nurses uh, didn't believe you. Yeah, that was tough. How did you cope Badly. with being told by doctors, yeah. oh, it's all in your mind, yeah. you should go home and look after your children? Yes, because I had two children. We had two children by then who were uh, one and three. Um, and that was the one thing I wanted to do, was to go home and look after my yes. children. You know, I couldn't hold them properly. I was in a wheelchair. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't be a mother. Of course I wanted to get home and look after my children. So, yes, that was very, very difficult. And it was a real time of, you know, am I making this all up? You know, it, it was dreadful. But once we got to see the right professor of neurology, yes. he took one look at me and said, I know what this is. You have severe generalised dystonia. We didn't know what dystonia no. was. Nobody explained it to us before, but we then found out. What, exactly what, is, what is dystonia? It's um, a neurological movement disorder. It comes from the part of the brain that is called the basal ganglia, and it 
it basically makes your muscles do what you want them to do. It's the same part of the brain that Parkinson's disease would, would be coming from as well. Um, and yeah, so we learned all about it. There's different types of dystonia and how it affected me was generalised. It, it just was in every muscle. And also I'd had meningitis as well. So I'd had a back fracture, I'd had meningitis, I'd had this knee injury. And somehow along the line, something had triggered. And with that, com- and the combination of maybe medication and drugs. All that, all yes. that, all that had, had sort of triggered this. Triggered it off. So during that time, you were obviously calling out to Jesus and praying oh, or trying to. I was. I mean, the lead up to it, many people prayed and they came and they prayed with me and I don't know if this is your experience, but sometimes when you pray, you get worse. Yeah. This was our experience. I got yes. worse and worse. And you could see people's faith. I wanted to please them. You know, I'm a dancer, I'm a performer. I want to say, yes, I'm getting better. But I wasn't. Now, a minister from Sydney, Australia, came to pray for you. How, how did that happen? <laughs> Extraordinary. Um, one of those sort of wonderful God instances, really. A friend knew he was going to be in England. He'd been speaking over here. A man called Jim Glennon, Canon Jim Glennon. And he, um, I knew none of this when they came to visit, but a little background of him. He was a faithful man of God. He prayed. And when he prayed, he believed what Jesus has said, that, you know, pray without doubting. Yes. And he, that's what he did. And he didn't doubt when he prayed that things would happen. I didn't know any of that. When he came to see me, I was sort of in my bed all curled up and, and very drugged, not really fussed that they were there. He came with a very good friend called Virginia. And she was desperate that he prayed for me. And I don't know how the conversation went, but he, he, he said he would pray on behalf of me. I was too ill to respond to anything he said, but he just prayed such a simple prayer, which was, on behalf of me, thank you, God, that you are healing me now. Thank you, Jesus, that you are healing me now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are healing me now. End of prayer. And then he wrote on an old scrap of paper that Virginia probably gave him in big capital letters so I could just see through these eyes that had stopped seeing very well. And he wrote these words, even when we're too weak to have any faith left, God remains faithful and will help us. And that meant everything. That meant everything. Even when we're too weak, I was far too weak to have any faith left. Couldn't even feed myself or swallow God will remain faithful and will help us. And then they left. Don't remember saying goodbye. Don't, don't even really remember what he looked like. But they left. And I think that was late morning or early afternoon. And then later on that day, something happened. Later on that afternoon, I woke up from the very deep sleep I'd been in. And I just felt able to sit up in bed and I hadn't been able to do that for months. It had always taken a, a nurse or my sister or mum or something happened. I just, oh, I can sit up. That was the first thing. And then the next day I woke up and I thought, I can get out of bed, which I did. And I had crutches. I was able to hobble over to the window of the ward and back again. But something happened. Something happened at that point, I didn't directly relate it to these incredible prayers of this man. 
and my friends and all the family who prayed, but something shifted at that moment. Something changed. Thank you, God, you are healing me now. And then day by day... Day by day, got got more and more better. The professor of neurology came to see me. He was... um, Gracious, I think is the word. He was. A, he said, by his own admission, I am a scientist. You know, I'm not. I'm not a man of faith. I'm not a, a, a God man of God, but I am a scientist. But he said something miraculous has happened. Yes. You don't get better from severe generalized dystonia like this. And I always thought that was very gracious of him not to just dismiss no, it. No, he say, actually yeah, admitted. He said, he said this, something, something has happened in front of my eyes. He called it a miracle. He said it was miraculous. We didn't at that point. And you regained your strength. Got everything back. Um, you know, came out of my wheelchair, could get home, look after our children. Um, began a normal life again. And one part of my body didn't get healed. And your it was finger. my hand, my hand, hand, my fist. Yeah, yes. One hand stayed in a fist. And it was always a sign between Tom, my husband, and myself that this was just a sign. We accepted it was that reminder of what had been. We didn't know why. The rest of it had all straightened out, why this bit didn't. And it was a reminder because when he went to hold my hand, he never had a, a nice flat palm to hold. He only had a fist. So it was a very intimate thing for us, really, at that point. And we didn't really even think to pray. It felt churlish. We thought, wow, all this has happened. You know, why, why, why ask for that too? But then one particular day, yeah. something unlocked that. What, what was behind that story? Writing this book. Amazing. And I went to a retreat house. I had the manuscript of the book on my knee. And um, it was like offering back everything. It was like saying um, to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, thank you that you have healed me now. And I gave back this whole story for his glory. I didn't know what would happen after all this had come out. And, and I was sitting there with the manuscript on my knee and I, I hadn't been given visions or prophetic words or, or pictures before, but I had my very first real image of, or, 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 it was a godly image. It wasn't me making something up, it happened. And I'll tell you what it was, John. It was like um, the healing that had taken place. It was like a dress. It was like a, a beautiful dress. It fitted well. It's like if you bought a new suit, you know, it yes. fits well. Yes. And this new dress, it fitted well. And in my mind, I could see it and it was lovely, very pretty. And then suddenly in this image, three groups of people suddenly came in. And the first group were saying, this lovely, lovely, pretty dress. Thank God for the healing that's taken place. I thought, wow. That's amazing. Then suddenly on this side, another group of people came up and there were two of them and they were weeping and they were crying and they looked cross. One of them looked quite cross. And they were saying, you know, what's so special about you? It was like a condemning voice. You know, why should you be healed? Why should you have a lovely new garment to wear? And the other one was just weeping and standing there. It's just not fair. You know, what about my mum? What about my son? What about my friend? You know, why aren't they healed when we pray? And that made me feel uncomfortable. And in this image, I looked down and I could see on the ground, there were two people and they were looking up and they said, oh, it's a lovely, it's a very pretty dress. You know, it looks very good on you. It suits you very well. But I bet there's nothing at the back. I bet the dress will fall down, the healing will fall down and you'll be back in a wheelchair. 
Now, this is all quite disturbing, as you could imagine. And in my mind's eye, I could see this dress. It was very, very beautiful. But I could also see there was a whole lot of hem that hadn't been sewn up. There's a great long thread hanging down. And and I I had no idea what this meant. I was very disquieted. I was happy with the first group. I was disquieted by them, disquieted by them. And And I gathered up my manuscript and I went into this retreat house and... And just bumped into a lovely godly woman and I said, please, can you pray? I don't know what this is about. And I just quickly backtrack a little bit to say this hand was so tight in that it, my nails often went into the skin. It would bleed. There were nodules where the ligaments and the tendons and everything had sort of tightened up. Um, it was very manky. It was disgusting because I couldn't open it. You couldn't wash it. And, yeah, it was horrible, really nasty. Um, and I just explained this picture of the three groups of people to this lady. I explained to her about that, the hem. And she very sort of sweetly and wisely said, well, I don't really know what it means either, but I'm just going to pray that God would sew up the last bit of the hem. That's all. And she was just say amen. I was just saying amen. And my hand sprung open completely and utterly 100% healed just open just opened there was no blood there was no nail marks there were no contractures there was no mankiness it was a hundred percent pure like the other one nothing nothing it was it was utterly extraordinary sorry it makes me quite emotional thinking of it because it was so instant i went home and my darling husband was there and he said, have you had a lovely time away? And I had my hands behind my back and I just went like that to him. Yes. And he, you know, we, we were just quite overcome because it had been so instant. But, but it's not about that at all. What it's about is that picture because that hem hanging down and the whole picture of these three groups of people has gone with me everywhere. This happened, John, 32 years ago. You know, we're talking a long time ago and it's alive now as it was then. But always, whenever I've had the joy or privilege of speaking of it, there's always been the three groups of people. Those who say, yep, I believe God heals today. Hallelujah. Many people say this is not fair. Why? Why should it be you? Why should you have an amazing restoration? And then the third group, those who say, well, it looks fantastic. You look all right. You know, it's, it's, you're going to be in a wheelchair again. It's a remission. That was the word they used. And as I say, it's over 32 years and I'm not in a wheelchair and I'm as you know, well as I could possibly be. Um, and then the hem, the hem hanging down. So many people, God may have begun something in their lives and just not quite finished sewing it up. You know, something that's incomplete or something that needs, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe whatever it is, there's something that needs sewing up. Absolutely. And so wasn't he kind to give me that picture to to help me with these last 32 years? So kind. So kind. What would you say to our viewers, Julie, who are desperate to be healed? And they have, like the persistent widow, they have knocked and knocked and knocked, asking the Lord for healing and as yet haven't seen it. What would you say to our viewers? Can I take something out of my pocket? It's not a rabbit. (laughs) I have here a limpet shell. Actually, I've got one for you, John, too, just because I thought you needed to hold on to. But what I would want to say is this is this is my how I base my faith. You know, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the rock. 
And when I was a child growing up in Devon, these limpet shells would be sticking hard to the rock and we'd always try and hammer them off with our spades. We could never get them off, but everything would try to come against us. And, and you know, the, the seaweed, the, the way these things stuck on and the, the waves would try and take these limpets off, but we, they wouldn't come off and we couldn't hack them off either with our spades. And a limpet shell has always been a symbol for me of my faith that I will stick to that rock, whatever happens. And by way of encouragement, really, I would just want to say, hang on, hang on. Everything's going to come against you in suffering. The pain, the, the sort of way you can't pray, the lack of faith that am I ever going to get better? The loneliness, the despair, everything that adds up to relationships going wrong when somebody is ill, perhaps in a family or in a, in a marriage or with children. I've just recently lost my, my grandson. The pain is unbelievable. And all the time I come back to this limpet shell sticking to the rock. What did Jesus say? What does God proclaim in his word in the Psalms? I am a rock, I am your refuge. And I would want to say to you that my heart is, is breaking with compassion really for you because I know what it's like to pray and pray and nothing happens and the pain doesn't go away and you don't seem to be getting any better. But I want to say that God knows. He hears your whisper, he hears your cry, he sees you, he loves you. Persevere, don't give up. And I want to pray that prayer that Jim Glennon prayed for me, if I may. Thank you, Father, that you are healing me now. Thank you, Jesus, that you are healing me now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are healing me now. And even when we're too weak to have any faith left, God remains faithful and will help us. Amen. Amen. Amen, Julie. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a powerful story, dancer of her feet. But you're still standing, Julie. And um, as you said there um, about your grandchild and, you know, you've had to battle with other issues. And one of your other books, uh, and I've never seen a book like this, The Blessing of Tears. Uh, obviously, you've cried a lot. Oh, we've cried a lot. Yes, our daughter um, was diagnosed with brain cancer with a brain tumour when she was 10. This is five years after I was um, made, restored and made well. And then she suddenly, out of the blue, was diagnosed with, with brain tumour. We, we've cried. I've cried that cry. I don't know if you've ever cried this cry where it can't even come out. It's so painful. It's up here. When our grandson died, I remember the, the cry was a scream inside. And we know about the blessing of tears. We also know about the gift of tears, that some people are given a gift by God to pray with tears for other people. And I love that shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. Jesus we wept. know it's okay to, to, to weep and for the men as well, we can all weep. And, and there's something very beautiful about somebody praying and crying and weeping for you. And yeah, it's a heartfelt thing. We live in this world, don't we, Julie, this world of miracle and mystery. And this is where we as believers and followers of Jesus need to, as you say, cling to the rock. Cling to the rock. Never let go. Absolutely. It's been a joy to talk to you 
Uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Bless you. Thank you, John. Wow. Julie Sheldon, dancer off her feet, whereas I'd like to say a dancer still on her feet. Uh, what an encouraging story of God's blessing and healing and also preservation despite other battles that Julie and her husband and family have had to face and a huge encouragement to us. I hope this has inspired you. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.